gentlemen, everybody, this is part three of our Serve Somebody series. And uh, if, if this is your first time today and you're coming a little bit late to the party, just want to encourage you to go to nextlevelchurch.com. All of our messages are available, audio and video, at nextlevelchurch.com. You can follow along there. Uh, several hundred people are tracking with us, watching and listening to messages online. So that'll help you get caught up a little bit. Wow, what an incredible weekend we have had around Next Level Church. And just God bless you to so many hundreds of you who've just been a part of it and made it happen. Guys, wing night on Friday evening, uh, Saturday, serve somebody. Medical day was just incredible as the guys talked about in the video showed a couple of minutes ago. And today it just continues with child dedication on and on and on. So if you, if you feel like you're not a part of what's going on at next level, that's your own fault. Come on, somebody. So um, it's just awesome, yeah, to be a part of, of the wave of what God's doing. Today, here's what I want to do. The first couple of weeks of this series, we, we went this direction. The first week, we kind of zoomed way out and talked about the six um, big concepts or the spokes uh, to this, this wheel, if you will, of how we lift people. And what we're talking about for these six weeks is the idea of lifting our city, lifting the people one at a time, individually, of our community. And so in part one, we talked about how we do that and, and six large high-level concepts. Last week then, you'll recall that we talked about how personally what that can look like for us, how we God wants to use what he's put in our house, what he's put in our hands. And I can't even begin to tell you the stories that we heard this week of people who are saying, you know what, I'm going to get off the sideline. I'm going to get in the game. And whatever it takes, whatever I can do, people are having garage sales. They're like literally what's in my house. They're selling stuff so they can help people love it. Love it, love it, love it. I think it's incredible. Well, today and for the next four weeks as we, we move through the next four weeks of this six-part series, I want us to talk about four strategic ways that um, we lift people. And again, a couple months ago, when we came across these ideas, what we discovered is that there are mindsets that when you start dealing with people in a poverty mindset, when you begin to start dealing with people who, who are living um, in, a, in a trapped or oppressed mindset of any kind, be it uh, the people who live in the communities that we're, we're targeting downtown, that we're ministering to, that we're focusing on, or people who are in our workplaces, people who are in our schools, regardless of, of the people that you're talking about, whenever you're dealing with someone who's having trouble finding breakthrough in their life, if you will, really breaking through, living in victorious Christian living like God wants us to, to live, whenever you find someone, there's a good chance that they're struggling with one or more of these four mindsets. And I want to share those mindsets with all of us this morning because I think on a large scale, it's going to begin to help us as you and I leave this place today, go back into our workplaces, go back into our homes, go back into our schools, go back into our apartment complexes, go back into the communities each Saturday. I think if, these, if we can begin to get our mind around these four mindsets that, that oppress people, that hold people captive then I think you and I can begin to see how God wants to use each of us as the solution to breaking these mindsets off of people. The first mindset that so many people who are struggling in their life and aren't living victoriously, so many people stuck in a poverty mindset reality that they're facing is, is this, I don't know. So many people live under this, this philosophy, this mindset that, that holds them captive that says, I don't know what I need to know. I don't, I don't know if anybody truly believes in me. See, the essence of serving begins with belief, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because if we can begin to break the mindset off of people that says, I don't know what I need to know, that I'm, I'm, I'm helpless, I'm clueless, so to speak. I don't know if anyone truly believes in me. When you and I together 
can start believing in the people in our world, believing in the people of our communities downtown. What will begin to happen is they'll move from an I don't know if anyone believes in me, I don't know what I need to know mindset into an I'm worth it type of mindset. Another mindset that, that people who are stuck in a poverty mindset or mentality or, or even people, again, that, that can't seem to live victoriously in their life, another mindset that they wrestle with is this one. I'm not capable. I'm not capable of doing what I need to do. They, they, they struggle with this, this idea of, I just, I don't, I don't have the skills I need. I don't have the training I need to be able to break out of this. As so many of us who were a sea of orange yesterday are beginning to discover about so many of the people that we're trying to reach and lift in the communities downtown, what we're going to discover is that, that people down there, and they're not bad people. They just, they're just stuck in these mindsets of I don't know what I need to know and, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm capable. I, I think of uh, one lady that I met yesterday. She was actually on the video. She was in a wheelchair. And one of the pastors downtown, Pastor Davis, who pastors one of the churches down there off of MLK, had an opportunity to meet him. And, and it took me a while to meet him because he was out looking for a wheelchair, to borrow a wheelchair so he could bring this lady to our medical clinic yesterday. And so I got to interact not only with Pastor Davis, but then uh, one of our guys was bringing this lady out in her wheelchair out of the medical clinic. And Pastor Mike and I were standing there. And I got to meet this lady. And here's the thing. She's lived in the community about 15 days. And she doesn't speak a lick of English, only Spanish. Well, thank God that some of you are bilingual. Because Reuben Lore, who is Chelsea, my assistant, her husband, Reuben, is bilingual. And so here comes Reuben pushing this lady out of the medical clinic, translating for her. And I got to stand there talking with this lady, interacting with this lady through Reuben, one of us, interpreting See, she wasn't capable to come. Pastor Davis looked at Mike and I and he said, gosh, she's practically an invalid. She's stuck in her house. She has no way to get out. But what we did yesterday is we made it possible. We said to a woman who's stuck in a mindset that says, I'm not capable of doing what I need to do. We said, yes, you are. We will do whatever it takes and we will empower you. Yeah which is incredible. See, that's what I'm talking about. If we can begin to lift people, begin to help people break out of these mindsets, it's incredible. So number one, I don't know what I need to know. Number two, I'm not capable. A third mindset, though, that so many people are stuck in who are, are not living victoriously in their life, be it in our workplace, our homes, our schools, relatives, family, whatever, or the people in our communities downtown, a third mindset that they're stuck in is I don't have what I need to have. I don't have it. I want to but I don't have what I need to have. And what we're discovering is what they truly need most is opportunity. I think of a 15-year-old named Johnny who's been coming to our church with Kyle Jackson, one of our volunteer leaders in our church. And Kyle's met this young man back in the spring during our sidewalk sports days. And he gave Johnny an award back in the spring for, for being, you know, good character or whatever. And then he lost touch with him for about three months. But then he found him again in line for the backpack giveaway in August. And so Kyle Jackson found him, high-fived him, began to strike up a relationship, took him to lunch, and found out that he was a golfer, and he loved to play golf. Maybe some of you have heard me hint at this story before. Here's the details. And so Kyle started to talk to Will, our youth pastor, started to talk to some other people, and they discovered, and they took up an offering on Wednesday night in our student ministry, Collide, for our junior and senior high schoolers. 
And they took up an offering, and then they called a country club where one of the people were there. Well, my mom is a pro down there or whatever. And they connected, and the next thing they know, they've got Johnny, this 15-year-old boy who lives in Sable Palms at the country club. And they're donating shoes and golf clubs and a golf bag. And what are they doing? They're giving him an opportunity. So a few weeks ago, he started coming on Wednesday night. And he sat on the front row, and Kyle said the very first night he raised his hand to accept Jesus as his Savior. And today, yeah, come on. He needed an opportunity. And, and just today in production meeting, Ariane, one of our worship leaders, said that she connected with Johnny yesterday. And the thing that he told her yesterday was, previous to meeting Kyle and interacting with Next Level Church, I thought that life was all about me. And so I was selling drugs. I was doing all of that stuff that I shouldn't be doing. And I had given up on life at 15. But now I realize that God loves me and he's got something amazing for my life. And my life is meant to be about serving other people. That's a 15-year-old who needed an opportunity, who's shifting his mindset from I don't have what I need to have. And guys, we're lifting people. It's working. I'm standing here before you today telling you it is on. It's working, guys. We're making a difference. I had a chance to meet Johnny's mom yesterday, Felicia. And she shook my hand and she thanked me. She said, you'll never know what it means to me, what your church has done for my 15-year-old son. She shook my hand and with tears in her eyes, she said, I used to have to beg my son to go to church, and now he's begging me. So instead of Kyle's truck, we gave Kyle our van this morning and said, you just bring him, just bring him, just bring him. Come on. See, guys, lifting people out of, out of a poverty mindset, lifting people in our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, whatever, is about breaking some of these mindsets and replacing them with God-ordained mindsets. And a fourth mindset then is, I don't know what I need to know. I'm not capable. I don't have what I need to have. And if people really for a long period of time buy into these three mindsets, then the fourth one sets in. And listen, this is destructive. Here's the fourth mindset. Eventually they start to say it's all about me or it's all beyond me and it's not my fault. Eventually here's the mindset that begins to kick in to people who can't seem to break through to victorious living in Christ, and it's this, it is a victim mentality that starts to set into people where they look and they go, you know what, it's hopeless, it's beyond me. This mountain is too high to climb, I can't do it. And at that moment, it turns inward and it becomes a victim mentality. And so the final week of our series, December the 13th, we're gonna hone in on that. Because we believe if we can begin to break up these four mindsets, that Jesus is going to set people free by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the individual. Jesus is going to begin to set people free. But it all begins with belief. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. I want to talk about this idea of belief, that if we're truly going to serve people in our world, in our life, in the communities downtown, then it begins with belief. And see, when Jesus lifted people, he always started right here. He started with this belief thing. Matter of fact, I want to show you a, a picture of what I'm talking about today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. 
And I want to take us to the place where Jesus calls his first two disciples. It was Jesus and the 12 disciples. I want to take us to the place where Jesus recruits the first two. And I want us to look at this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We see this interaction begin. Let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who we know later as Peter, the great apostle Peter. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, Peter and Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So here's what's going on. Jesus is walking down the beach along the Sea of Galilee. His ministry is just beginning. And as he's walking, he sees off in the distance this father with his sons, and they've got their fishing boat and their fishing nets, and they're doing the whole deal. And he walks up to these two sons, one Simon, who we know as Peter, and the other Andrew. And he looks at them, but here's the amazing thing. They were fishermen. Now, here's the deal. If all we read is that they were fishermen, then we're going to miss the magnitude of this verse. We're going to miss the magnitude of this moment. See, if, if all we see is the surface level, yeah, they were fishermen. Great. Fantastic. I like to catch fish. Praise the Lord, Matt. What else you got? We're going to miss it. Here's the deal. In order for us to fully understand the magnitude of what is taking place in these verses, this, this quick exchange between Jesus and Peter and Andrew, the calling of the first two disciples, we have to go back into the Jewish history and the Jewish educational system. Because see, in in the day of, of this time, in Bible times, every Jewish boy at the age of about six or seven would enlist into what you and I would call elementary school, what they called Beit Talmud. And so their elementary school was called Beit Talmud. And so every six-year-old, seven-year-old boy in their culture, by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions of little boys, would enter into Beit Talmud. And for the next four or five years, by the time they turned 12, every Jewish little boy would have memorized the first five books of the Torah or of the Old Testament. We know it as the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible memorized by the age of 12. And at that point, once they concluded with Beit Talmud, then basically the best of the best would go on to what they called Beit Sefer. We would call it middle school. Everybody else at the age of 12 was like, thank you very much, congratulations, you did or did not memorize the five, first five books of the Torah, go home. Go become apprentices of your fathers. Go, whatever your father's business is, go do that. The best of the best would move on to middle school, Beit Sefer. And in Beit Sefer, by the time they turned 15, over the next few years, they would memorize the entire rest of the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. And everything in between memorized. By age 15. Now how many know... That's going to disqualify a lot of little boys. I would be one. Are you kidding? So, like, it's funny because, like, we joke about, man, that guy just really knows the word, does he? No, I, I swear he knows the word. Okay. Does he have the entire Old Testament memorized? Go sit down. So by the age of 15, most all of the little Jewish boys have been weeded out. 
By the age of 15, most all of them have been disqualified, sent home. You know what? You don't have what it takes to be a rabbi. You don't have what it takes to be the next great teacher. You don't have it. Go home and learn your father's trade. And then from that point, only the best of the best of the best of the best of the best were invited to become apprentices of the, of the rabbis of the day, of the teachers of the day. Only, only one in a million was invited to become a rabbi, to become an apprentice to, to learn the ways of the rabbis, of the teachers of the day. Everybody else goes home. Learn your father's business. Thank you very much. So when we see Jesus walking down the beach and he sees Peter and Andrew fishing, what does that mean? That means that they got cut. It means that they were the not quite good enoughs. They were the B team. They were the, they were the, the dropouts. They weren't the best of the best of the best, the most qualified, the most talented. They weren't that. At some point in the system, they had been expelled from the system. Go home, Peter. Go home, Andrew. You don't have a chance at this. You're better off just go be a fisherman like your dad and leave the, leave the high rabbinical stuff to us. You're not the best of the best of the best. Sorry, you're the not quite good enoughs. So here comes Jesus walking along the beach. And as he reaches Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, he looks at them. And look at verse 19. Jesus says to these common fisher boys, Come, follow me. Because you're not going to fish for fish anymore. I'm about to send you out to fish for people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine thinking that you had missed your chance, thinking that you were not quite good enough, that you were just a B-team player? Can you imagine feeling insignificant in terms of the greater movement of the rabbinical system and what God was doing on the earth? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... This Jesus from Nazareth that everybody's been murmuring about, that everybody's been talking about. This Jesus, that there's rumor that he turns water into wine. This Jesus that everybody's talking about, the rumor has it, that duffer can raise people from the dead. This Jesus that everyone is talking about, this, this rabbi that's, that's teaching a new teaching, a new understanding of what it means to be saved. Hosanna, God saves. He's teaching a new definition to the word Hosanna. This Jesus who's coming along. And he looks at you and your little brother and he says, I think you can be like me. Come, leave your nets, follow me and learn the ways of my teaching, of my reality. Imagine how you would feel if you were Simon and Andrew. On, on one side, you'd be like, wow, yeah, baby, we just got the call up. This is awesome. High five, high five, high five. What up? Yeah. Like you'd be going crazy. And on the other side, you'd be going, oh my goodness. 
do you think we can really do this? Do you think we could pull this off? Hey, Dad, love the fishing boat. Peace out with the nets. We got to go. Imagine being the dad coming home. Honey, I'm home. Where's the boys? Yeah, about that. Um, they're not coming home anymore. <laughs> okay, that duffer was sleeping on the whatever the Jewish version in the time was, couch. He was on the couch for a long time. Until about the, right about the time that like Peter and Andrew started like doing miracles, then the mom's like, all right, all right, you're back, you're good. Here's the point. Peter and Andrew were the not quite good enoughs. But Jesus walks into their world and he looks them square in the face and he says, I believe that you can be like me. And they were just daring enough to believe it. And if there's any message I want us to understand today, it is this. Just like Jesus believed in Peter and Andrew, I believe that the message for so many of us that God wants us to hear today is Jesus believes in us as well. And see, maybe you're here today and you've been thinking to yourself, man, I don't know if you knew my past, Matt, if you knew my life, if you knew what a screw up I was, bro, you would know that there's no hope for me. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're looking around at your world going, you know what, I'm just, I'm just small and insignificant and what could God do with my life? I want you to know something. Jesus would say to you today, I believe in you. Just like I believe in Peter and Andrew, the not quite good enoughs, the, the screw-ups, uh, the, the, the dropouts. I believe that you can be like me, Jesus would say. I believe that you can do what I do. Greater things have yet to come. Those, those are the words of Jesus. When he looked at his disciples and he said, what you've seen me do, you're going to do greater things. And God would say to so many of us watching and listening and here today, God would say to you, I believe in you. I believe you can be like me, Jesus would say. I believe you can do what I do and greater things. I believe in you. Do we believe that? Do we, do we really believe that? Because see, what it means to be in relationship with God, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is not that we work really hard. It's not that we serve our way into good graces. It's not that we give enough in the offering and God loves us and accepts us. No, it's none of those things. This is not about Peter and Andrew earning their way onto the team. Well, if you practice real hard and you give and you serve and you sacrifice, then you get a shot. No, it's not about how good we are. It's about how gracious our God is. And I, yeah, come on. Amen. You can clap for that. You want to know how much Jesus believes in you? Paul actually talked about it. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, to a, this huge church where God had just poured out his spirit and there were thousands and thousands of people. And so he writes them a letter to this church in Corinth and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20 basically, he talks about all that God has given to us, his followers, his people. Look what it says in verse 18. All this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ. In other words, we can be in relationship with God. We're reconciled through Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross was payment enough for our sin. You've heard me say this before, some of you, so that we could be in relationship with God. That relationship could be restored. Reconciled is a financial accounting term. It basically means there was a deficit, and now that deficit is paid in full. And now there's reconciliation of relationship. He says, all of this was done, and then watch. Not only did Jesus, when he died on the cross, give us reconciliation of our sins so we could be in relationship with him, not based on works, but based on grace, but look what else he gave us. Breathe. And I just get so excited. I'm just like, this is just really good news. (laughs) This is setting people free. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just reconcile us. He gave us the work ministry there. The word means serve. The service of the ministry of the the, the, uh, dispersion of his grace. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Are you kidding me? Can that be true? Can that be real? That Jesus so believes in us that A, he was willing to die on the cross for us, and as if that weren't big enough, he imparted the most important message on the planet in the history of the world, which is man was once lost in sin, but because of Jesus, they can be reconciled. And through his blood, we are cleansed of our sin and we can be in relationship with God. Again, the greatest message on the planet, the message of reconciliation he has given to us. That's how much Jesus believes in us. Do we get that? Do we really fully comprehend how much our Father in Heaven loves us? That it's not dependent on our works. It's not dependent on our earning our way into God's good graces. See, because here's what I believe. I believe that to the degree that we get that, to the degree that we understand how much Jesus believes in us, to that degree we have the ability to serve others. And here's why. Because the starting point of all serving is belief. Serving is believing. Serving others starts at its baseline foundational place with serving, with with, with believing other people, with believing that Johnny just needs a chance with believing that at its core, people are trying to do right. They're just stuck in some mindsets that are holding them captive. Do you know what a sea of orange yesterday communicates to the communities downtown? We believe. We believe in you. Because if people don't think they can, then they can't. But when any of us, any of us, truly begin to believe that someone believes in us, everything changes. When we started our church eight years ago in 2002, 
we, we pretty much got blacklisted by where we came from. And they basically looked at us and said, there's a church on every corner down there, which there's not. Um, and the way you, you say you want to do church differently, it will never work. And so we started in May of 2002 and struggled along for about nine months. And then in February of 2003, a man by the name of Billy Hornsby came for a weekend and spent the weekend at Next Level Church. And spent the weekend with Sarah and I and with Mike and Dave and our team. And Billy Hornsby is the executive director of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which is a church planting organization, you've heard me talk about it, many of you, that we're a part of, that we now do a ton of training with, and God's using us, and God's using the ARC to unite denominations and unite the body of Christ across the United States and now around the world. God's using the ARC to bring unity to the body of Christ like potentially no other organization in the last hundred years. I mean, what we're a part of, guys, is incredible. Well, Billy Hornsby is the executive director of that. He's the big dog. We call him the big dog, respectfully. And in February of 2003, Billy Hornsby came down, and we were a struggling church plant. And it was my wife and I, and I was 27, and she was 25. And we were trying to figure it out. And we probably had 70 or 80 people at the time. And Billy came and he spent Saturday with us and he talked to us. And he came on Sunday and he spoke in the movie theater. And, you know, both people were listening and it was great. <laughs> and I can remember taking Billy back to the airport on Sunday afternoon and then driving across to Cape Coral where we lived at the time. And on Sunday night, our team got together. And I can remember sitting around our kitchen table at our house and looking at the team and just all of us over and over again saying to ourselves, someone actually believes in us. Someone actually believes that this thing called Next Level Church could work. Someone actually believes that this dream, this vision that we feel is God-ordained and God-placed in our heart could actually make sense, that we could actually change our cities our region of the country, someone actually believes in us. And can I tell you, from that day forward, we begin to carry ourselves differently. We begin to think different thoughts. Why? Because somebody believed in us. And to this day, I will do whatever I have to do for Billy Hornsby for one reason, and that is because he believed in us when no one else did. Guys, listen, this wouldn't be here. Our church would not be the way it is today if Billy Hornsby had not spent the weekend with us and looked at Matt and Sarah Keller, this miserable little 20-something couple trying to figure it out, and said, I believe that your vision is from God, and I believe you guys can do this. This church would not be what it is today without Billy Hornsby's belief in us. Yeah, well, amen. So zoom back out to our communities downtown, to the worlds we live in, to the, to the neighbors next door who are struggling and going through a time and losing their house, to, to, the, to the coworkers in our office, to the student across the classroom three rows over. It was a good day a long time ago when I heard, I read in, in a John Maxwell leadership book the statement, and I, it's never left me. 
And John wrote, the average person has no one in their life who they truly believe believes in them. And when I read that statement as a young 20-something leader, I can remember letting that statement burn on my heart. That what if it's true that every person you and I interact with on a daily basis, what if it's true that the person that's sitting in our row right now, what if it's true that the person that we're going to shake hands with and play basketball with this coming Saturday at the fall festival downtown, that they truly have no one in their life that they truly believe believes in them? Imagine what's possible if a group of people like us could believe in one person, just one, just one Johnny, that we could see a need, we could see a soul who has no one in their life who they truly believe believes in them, and we could believe in them like Jesus believes in us. Imagine what's possible. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, even now in the stillness of this moment, we are so reminded that you believe in us, that you're for us, that you have entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. Unbelievable. And God, I pray for each person listening today, each person watching on the internet today, each person here in this room today. I pray for each one of us, God, that we would begin to wrap our minds and our hearts and our spirit around your belief in us because Jesus, if we can get that, then we can do what you do. We can actually accomplish this ministry of reconciliation. We can actually lift the people of our city because we can believe in them like you believe in us because, God, it all starts with belief. So, Jesus, help us to believe like you believe. Still praying, I want to ask a question of those of you here in the room. Because maybe you're here today and you've never crossed that line in your heart. You've never really embraced how much Jesus believes in you. And maybe you feel like there's distance between you and God today. Well, I want you to know it's not a mistake or an accident or coincidence that you're here. We believe that this is a divine appointment. Because God's supreme idea of how to lift people is to bring them into relationship with him. And so if you're here today and, and you're far from God, you're here today and you, you know there's distance and you've never fully embraced the, that belief that Jesus has in you, so much so that he'd be willing to die on the cross for your sin, you can do that today. And so right now, still in this moment of prayer, I want to just ask a question. If you're here today and that's you, you've never crossed that line of faith in your heart or maybe you have at one time or another, but you've wandered away from that commitment, in this moment, Jesus wants to come near to you again. He wants to forgive you of sin. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to reconcile you so that you can be included in the family of God and be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up real quick? I just want to pray for you. One, two, three, all across this room. Anybody? You just slip your hand up. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just, just real quick. Just once you put it up, you can put it back down. Great. Fantastic. 
Father God, you see the hands that have been raised even this morning of some of us who have been far from God, who've never fully embraced how much you believe in us. And Father, I pray for them right now. Lord, I thank you that with simply slipping a hand up, it's our way of confessing that God, it has been our sin, our wrongdoing that's, that's created this distance between us. God, you've not moved, we have. And so Father, by simply slipping a hand up, we acknowledge today that we're sinners, that we've missed the mark. We've fallen short. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us of that. Lord, I pray that salvation would come to each and every one of these who are saying yes for the first time and again in their heart. And Jesus, we thank you for your belief in us. Jesus, thank you, God, that you not only believe in us, but Lord, you believe in us so much that you're calling us to serve. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so, Jesus, I pray for a holy boldness, a holy courageousness to come upon us, the people of Next Level Church in the next seven days, that we would go into our workplaces, we would go into restaurants, we would go into our neighborhoods and our homes, we would go into our classes at school, we would go into the communities you've called us to downtown, and you would empower us, Jesus, to serve others with this ministry of reconciliation, Lord. May we be believers in people like you are believers in us. And Father, that is the cry of our heart. That's the prayer of us today. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And all across this room, everybody said, amen. Come on, let's just applaud the Lord today. Let's just give him praise. Lord, thanks for your belief. God, thanks for your belief in us, Lord. You're amazing, God.